Recruiting is something that uh, I think about day and night because uh, it's probably number two on the list of CEOs, uh, pecking order of importance, number one being uh, cash flow, financing, etc. Number two being hiring and retaining. Um, for some extroverts, sitting in at home in a room and just staring at the screen is, is, is not an optimal experience. In the technical industry and in software engineering, I guess it's a cliche, but a lot of you know, technical types are more introverted. Maybe that's why remote work is so popular in the technical uh, industry. You're listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast, the show to hear tips and tricks about staying productive and having an awesome lifestyle as a remote worker. Proudly presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com. Now let's welcome your host, Alan Kaig. Alrighty, folks, this is Alan of remotecompass.com and today we are speaking with Kevin, CEO and founder of Akufu. Hey, Kevin. Alan, thanks so much for inviting me on your show. Great to have you here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Akufu? Absolutely. Um, so I've been founder of Akufu. Akufu uh, is about two years old. Um, Kufu is a product that essentially uh, we want to reimagine content aggregation and build a product that captures the hearts and minds of people that love to consume content. And uh, we're creating a, a AI-powered uh, aggregator. It's currently available on iOS and Android. We've been building it out for about two years. Um, nearly a fully distributed team, which I'm happy to talk uh, more about. We've received a little bit of seed funding from some high net worth individuals. And um, we now go to market phase, which is really exciting. And um, we're busy pushing out and letting the world know about our Khufu app. Excellent. Um, how does the team look like? So um, it's now around two years old. Pretty interesting. How does the uh, remote or hybrid setup look like for the, the um, Okufu team? So pretty much for most of the two-year period. So our team is, is less than 10 in size. We're a really small team. Um, we have a project manager, um, we have a designer, and we have a couple of engineers and a couple of admin people. Um, so previously, uh, for, for, the, for the majority of the two-year period, we um, were a hybrid team where a couple of the team members were in Sydney. I'm in Sydney. We would still only get together twice a week. So even though we had some of the team members in Sydney, um, we were essentially distributed most of the time because uh, that's what we like. We feel that uh, heading into our office in the CBD um, was um, motivational, inspiring twice a week. Anything more becomes a chore. All of our processes are set up for distributed first. All of our tooling set up for distributed first. And then where available, we plugged in a little bit of in-office to, to get that report, to get that face-to-face. -face. And that worked really well. And recently with COVID and with some of the team members moving out of Sydney, we actually now been fully distributed um, for, for quite a few months now. And because our processes and tooling were set up from get-go, it's hardly any change. It's, it's pretty much business as usual. 
being a uh, two-year-old company, somewhere between uh, five to ten team members is a pretty nice size. How, how did um, recruitment look like? Or have you known each other from earlier projects and whatnot? So, Alan, recruiting is something that uh, I think about day and night because uh, it's probably number two on the list of CEOs, you know, pecking order of importance, number one being uh, cash flow financing, et cetera, number two being hiring and retaining. Um, so one of the team members, actually more than one, um, but one of the core team members um, I've worked with for over 10 years, and obviously that's a huge advantage. We understand each other very well, and there's a huge amount of trust. Um, some of the um, admin people I've worked with for quite some time as well. But the engineering team are new on this project um, they um, distributed in all different places, Dubai, Nepal, had some in Eastern Europe, etc. cetera. Um, so recruiting and retaining is essentially an incredibly important part of uh, the CEO's role because it's such a cliche, but team is everything. And team is double everything in the early stages when every day matters, every week matters, every product change matters. And um, you really need a team that not only delivers, but a team that actually is uh, getting along well. There's uh, no friction. There's no politics. There's no drama because drama can really distract you from the task at hand which is uh, to build a product that uh, achieves product market fit and uh, in, a, in a very crowded marketplace we really have to stay focused on that goal with um, international team members what's the um, farthest time zone and how much of that um, how much do you consider their location uh, during the recruitment process? It's a great question because time zones are obviously the the bane of distributed teams. Yeah. It always comes up, right? Time zones. Um, so when we're recruiting, um, we do always put in the job ad what crossover times will be required. And we do like, for example, if we're hiring a technical team member, we do like them to cross over between two to four hours with the technical team. And the technical team currently is, is focused in Dubai and Nepal, and they need to cross over with those jurisdictions. If they with the product team or myself, we in Sydney, they've got to cross over with us. Um, so we do factor in time zones, even though we do a lot of async work and I think async work is a bit of a superpower as a company if you can work out async work. Um, I do think it's unrealistic to have uh, 100% async work if you're building a team. I think if you want to get tasks done and outsource, you can do it. But if you're building a team for the long term, um, you can't be 100% async. You need some of the sync work, some of the meetings, some of the Zoom face-to-faces, etc. So time zones, especially being in Sydney HQ, are a bit of a pain, particularly since, you know, the whole um, North America, South America jurisdiction is almost lost to us because it's uh, the East Coast of the US or the East Coast of South America. It's just absolutely impossible to work with those time zones. So, yes, we're, it's, uh, it, it is something that's considered. 
what does that mean uh, your time zones mean to the um, other side of the business which, which is uh, the demand side so the supply side you want a little bit of time zone overlap two four hours um, how about your product and its availability to, to, to service folks outside of your overlapping time zones well, I'll, tell, I'll recount some of my experience with my previous business, which was Manage Flutter, which was a Twitter management tool that reached over 4 million users. <clears throat> and our sweet spots of user, most of the pro- majority of our users were in the US. And that was challenging because the peak usage would happen often 1 a.m., 2 a.m. Sydney time. Oh. <laughs> and when we, went to, when we went through scaling issues, which uh, as a bootstrap startup, um, we went through a, a few times um, that uh, that's when the wheels were coming off at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and that was pretty unpleasant. There's no way around that other than when you grow to have people in those time zones. And at some one stage with Managed Flitter, we did have engineers kind of spread around the world, which did help so people could work on things at different hours. And I think as you grow, and particularly if you've got a global business, that's probably a nice goal to have an engineering team where you almost have coverage across the the global time zone. Then you always have someone on board that can keep an eye on things, fiddle with things, optimize things, etc. Does this mean that right now, at least initially, your product will focus on the Australia and Asia markets? Actually, we like to focus on the U.S. markets because uh, Khufu, similar to Manage Flutter, is a volume play. Um, it's it's a product where we, you know, the unit economics will make most sense, where we'll have a lot of users. And the U.S. is, is, is the kind of quintessential good market for that and in, in that they are very big market and, and a relatively affluent market, I guess, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, compared to other jurisdictions. So we are actually from the get-go just focusing on the U.S. That being said, we don't, uh, we don't kind of exclude anyone, but our marketing and even, you know, when we're sending out email marketing pieces, et cetera, we will always factor in U.S. times. It's a market we're quite familiar with actually having, um, you know, for nine years run a business where the majority of our customers were based across the U.S. Right. And, and how about um, customer service and um, support tickets? Uh, perhaps you tend to invest in um, self-service documents so uh, your users can uh, figure things out on their own? Yeah, look, Kufu is still very early days, so so uh, customer service is not really a a, uh, a challenge at the moment. Manage Flutter, where we had um, you know a large, very large user base, um, customer service was important, and we did actually hire someone in the U.S. jurisdiction that not only was um, online during um, you know the, the relevant time zone, but even had a bit more of a familiarity with maybe cultural idiosyncrasies and 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 uh, it all adds up to the user experience where he would uh, you know chat with people in the US jurisdiction and he was American and can maybe just take one one piece of friction out of the equation um, as opposed to Australians where you know cultures culture is is obviously relevant to a user's experience right um Going back to your team, how much of your work is asynchronous and how do you make it work? So we essentially have 
um, loosely a product team and an engineering team. And then we kind of have admin as well. So the product team, which is myself and Joe and Min, our designer, um, we do quite a bit of synchronous work. Um, we probably have one to two Zoom sessions a day. We have some co-work sessions, virtual co-work sessions, and there's a lot of crossover. Um, the engineering team tends to be a lot more asynchronous. Um, we scope out work for them in great detail. Um, mm. We like to detail as much as possible so that they can pick up the JIRA tickets and they can actually work on them independently. Um, they can then in the stand-ups um, have some chats, do some code reviews with each other, but they work a lot more asynchronously with each other. Right, because of the heavily scoped work. Uh, that's a crucial part of it. Um, you know, a crucial part is that the product team spends a lot of time. If you look at our tickets, and that's thanks to Joe, uh, my head of product, who's exceptional at it. Um, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I struggle a bit more with the details, but Joe's exceptional in the level of detail that she puts in the ticket. Um, and I think that's very much required. And it's, there's different ways of doing it. I saw a tweet from a Facebook uh, product manager the other day, and he said, you know, we 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 make our engineers write the tickets and the detail the scope of work and we just guide them in the bigger picture and, and focus on the outcomes that we want but that doesn't work for us this is very much working for us and i guess every company needs to find their own combination um, of workflow right so uh, I, i guess much of the structure is from uh di differentiating the product team versus engineering team wherein um in the product side you are sort of operating in an ad hoc basis. You're figuring things out, you're co-working with each other. And then when the product specs are firm, then it's time to hand off the instructions to the engineering team. That's a, that's a good way of putting it, where we're a little bit more rough around the edges on the product side. We brainstorm. But we also have some brainstorming sessions where we include the engineering team. So once a week, we have an all hands where we manage to actually get everyone in the virtual room at the same time. And every now and then um, we we have a, brain, a product brainstorming session and uh, we include the engineers in that. But the product team has more frequent brainstorming sessions. And yes, the view is to leaving nothing no product decisions up to the engineers um, so that they can really focus on the technical decisions and the technical implementation. And it's worked pretty well. Um, of course, we can always do better, but um, we've got a product that we, we're pretty proud of so far as the first version of our go-to-market uh, version of our product. Nice. Um, you mentioned co-working sessions. How does this look like? I assume that's um, online. Yeah, it's actually something new that we've tr we're trialing and so far everyone's been loving it. Essentially what we do is we say, okay, 2 to 4 p.m. on a Monday afternoon, we're going to have a co-work session and um, people join the Zoom. And it's different to a meeting in that there's no specific agenda. Um, the room's open, our mics are open, but we're getting on with our work and we're trying to mimic kind of an in-office experience where then I can say to one of my team members, oh, do you have, you know, X asset for me or what happened with that <laughs> marketing campaign? Or instead of a little Slack message going out, I'll just mention it and uh, verbally. Um, and wow. it was, it's been fantastic. It, it, it comes pretty close to an office experience 
and being able to to kind of have a more incidental conversation. Would you turn your cameras on? Yes, yes, our cameras will be on. Um, so we can, you know, I put the screens on, I've got two screens and I'll put the, the, the zoom screen with everyone's face on my second screen. So I can see them all there and, um, it feels almost, you know, it's, it's a very strong, uh, second best, obviously you need the, the time crossovers yeah. and, um, but there was a big thumbs up from our team and we're going to be doing a lot more of those. Oh, that sounds great. And, and a great use of a second screen. Uh, look, second. I'm a huge fan of second and third screens. I think it's a very quick. <laughs> I think it's a very too. quick win. Um, I either have a ve- in the office. I've got three screens. So in in the city, in my home, I've got a very big second screen. So I'm a big fan of having as many screens um, as you can because um, I, I find them quick wins. You can put Slack on the one and twitter on the other and you can have your email and it just yeah it gives you it gives you solid workspace um i find most people do better with more screens although some people say they're less distracted with one screen only but i guess everyone needs to find their way right um whether it's uh software hardware or processes can you share some of the must-haves that you've found have been very useful in terms of remote work oh okay well I definitely, before I get into software processes, hardware, et cetera, hiring rights. And, and w- what I mean by that is I don't think remote work is right for everyone. Um, and I think that's okay. And I think you, you really have to consider that. For example, I think for some extroverts, remote work isn't right. And they might find that out sooner or later. Um, but I think for most, for some extroverts, sitting in at home in a room and just staring at the screen is 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 not an optimal experience. In the technical industry and in software engineering, I guess it's a cliche, but a lot of you know technical types are more introverted. Maybe that's why remote work is so popular in the technical uh, industry in the software startup world. Um, also for younger people, I think in the early twenties, mid twenties, when you're building up your career and you're trying to learn. I, I don't know if it's as easy to learn remotely from team members as it is to be in an, in an office where you can really have those incidental conversations. So I, I think that needs to be factored when, you know, trying to aim for successful um, remote work is just ha- having team members that, um, that, that are a good fit for remote work and distributed teams. Um, in terms of other... Um, in, t- in terms of other tools and software and hardware. Um, I mean, what do we use? We use Slack, um, which we absolutely love. Zoom, obviously. Another little product called CRISPR or CRISP.ai, which is a fantastic little AI tool that sits between your mic and your speaker and can filter incoming and outgoing sounds um, so to actually clean them up. So it's fantastic if you're sitting in a cafe, um, you can actually do a Zoom call and people won't hear the clanging or the background noise. They'll just hear you. It's quite a cost-effective product. That's fantastic for remote work. Um, One thing that people um, forget about is having a good quality microphone. Um, It's so much nicer when you have a meeting with a team member and it's coming through crisp and clean. 
um, and you can get good quality headsets quite cheaply, less than $100. There's some brands, and I think that's uh, it, it just it's less brain processing required when someone's coming through um, <laughs> clearly. So th- those are some quick wins for remote work. How much do you tend to work outside? Oh, look, you know, Sydney's been in lockdown for quite a while. So at the moment, it's just been uh, my four walls and my little study in Sydney. But um, when lockdown um, wasn't on on the go, um, I'd like to mix it up. Um, I like to mix it up between our little office in the city, um, some cafes, um, my office, sometimes co-working at friends' places. Sometimes even we're lucky enough in Sydney, there's some outdoor places where you can sit on the, you know, a picnic table under wow. a tree and you can work. <laughs> so we, we're very lucky um, in Sydney. I like to mix it up. I work long hours, as a lot of people do, and I find the different environment shakes the tree, so to speak. I'm a huge fan. In fact, I, my whole setup, Alan is totally portable. I've got a portable laptop riser, portable external keyboard, and portable mouse. Um, and, you know, I've got 5G on the go, and I can just whip up my little setup wherever I am in the world, and I'm ready to go in a very nice ergonomic uh, manner. Sweet. And um, I think they also have those portable external displays as well. They do. I've got a friend who's also my accountant, and he he actually uses one of those. I haven't I haven't um, actually bought one of those yet. I've, I'm keeping my eye on them, and I think when lockdown is over, I'm going to experiment with having one of those portable externals, and maybe just to keep my Slack um, away. And uh, yeah, it's it's definitely. I think what I have done when I've actually traveled for th- to the U.S. for months at a time, I've actually bought an external monitor. And then when I leave, I just donate it to a charity or something like that. Ooh. I mean, monitors monitors are, are relatively cost-effective considering the improvement that they bring. And then you can give it to a friend or another startup or et cetera. So that's another way of doing it if you're going to be somewhere for a little while. That's just a great tip. Yeah. Um, so uh, can you share with us, what has your uh, remote work through the years taught you about um, this way of working that every uh, team should not overlook? Well, communication with remote work. I mean, it's definitely, um, I mean, communication is, is always vital, but I think with remote work, it can really compress time, um, improve efficiency. I think it's something, particularly with people that are new to remote work, I've got to kind of mentor them a little bit through um, how to communicate very completely in Slack, uh, not make any assumptions. So I think um, I think that's definitely, and particularly I think if there's someone who's younger listening to this and they probably want to be a digital nomad or they want to, you know, most likely be part of a distributed team, no matter whether you're a designer or whether you're an engineer or, or marketing. Just practice, be, just build up your communication. It just, when I'm recruiting, um, people that communicate well just stand out. And I think, I think it's so overlooked to be an exceptional communicator. It doesn't mean you have to be uh, funny. It doesn't mean you have to be creative. It doesn't mean, all it means is clarity. Yeah. Practice and build up the skill of communicating verbally or written with clarity and that will set you above your peers 
um, you know, and it will, you'll literally land up making double the salary over time because it's that it's it's that helpful to an organization to have exceptional communication skills. Is this um, incorporated in your recruitment process? How do you uh, test for this? It's definitely something that we look for, and um, you know, I think. I think hiring is, is a balance of skills and, uh, you know, it's definitely on our wish list and there's a baseline level um, that's required. We can't always uh, tick every single box. I don't know if anyone can. Um, and particularly some roles kind of pull against the communication competency. For example, engineers are often attracted to programming because they enjoy computers more than people. Some, not always, but sometimes. And that means they don't always, you know, they aren't always into communication. That being said, I've worked with some engineers that are exceptional communicators. Those engineers obviously have gone on to do great things. But it is something that we definitely look for. And in the resumes and in the cover letters, I can quickly pick up um, their communications and their clarity skills. And it's something that we've invested in. Uh, previously, we've, um, especially for people where English is their second language, we've brought on some English coaching for them and we've got them skilled up and it made a huge difference. Within a couple of weeks, they were communicating next level already. So uh, remember, you can develop your people as well, right? right. Uh, pick hire them on attitude, if they're a little bit rough on certain skills, develop them, right? Invest in them. It will pay back. So um, the must-have will be identifying if they're going to be a good fit for remote and then others are sort of uh, negotiable as you can develop your talent. Absolutely. Look, I mean, I think one, one aspect that I really look for these days is a good attitude. You know, the startup, uh, the startup game is tough. It's tough. Um, it's, it's tough for myself as founder. It's tough for the team members. They have a lot of responsibility. There's a bit of uncertainty. Um, and it makes it a lot more enjoyable if people have a mature, self-aware attitude. These days, that's really something I look, look for. Um, and beyond that, yes, they, they, they need the core competency if they're going to be an engineer and we do tech tasks to ensure they've got the core competency, uh, core competency of the tech. If they're going to be a designer, we do get them to do a mini project. So they need that, that core competency. And then things like communication, et cetera, it's got to be a baseline. But sure, we can, in, uh, we can polish um, aspects of that. But uh, yes, hiring, hiring is tricky and particularly the market is very, you know, there's startup world, tech world is, is there's huge growth at the moment and really um, huge demand. Uh, we we competing with companies like the Googles, like the Atlassians, like the Canvas. Not easy for a little company like ours to compete, but uh, we feel that uh, as a small company, we can offer other aspects like a lot of responsibility, small team, exciting greenfield project, etc. Excellent. Um, uh, Kevin, where can the audience learn more about you and Okufu? Um, I'm active on Twitter. So KE underscore GA, uh, Kiga. Um, I always like connecting with people. You can even email me at Kevin at Okufu.com. Um, love hearing from people. And also if it's useful, I like mentoring people and uh, like hearing from people from around the world. LinkedIn, I'm also on LinkedIn. So Twitter, LinkedIn, email, you can find me and uh, feel free to reach out.
All right. Folks can find um, the, uh, your, uh, the, the links in the show notes. Great. Alan, I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. I think remote work is uh, going to become the de facto standard. And I think there's a lot, a lot for all of us still to work out and learn from each other. So I appreciate the time to chat about the topic. Likewise, been a great chat. Thanks, Alan. Thanks for listening to the Remote Work Productivity and Lifestyle Podcast. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of our upcoming or prior episodes. This show is presented by Remote Compass and worldpodcasts.com.